This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. How often do you wake up in the morning and wonder why your people aren't buying into the changes that the management team is putting on the table? And you know that these changes are going to be transformative. They're going to put the company on the right track. But the team's just not working together, and you're not getting the creativity and the transformation from them that you know they are capable of. To answer that question and more, Robert Overvech. Robert, yes, welcome to the show. thank you so much for having me. Thank hey, you. you know what? I, so I, I was kind of practicing on that uh, last name part. That's not natural for uh, for English speakers, so hopefully I didn't botch it up too much. You did a great job. <laughs> well, where, uh, first of all, where are you today? In Amsterdam. I'm located Amsterdam. in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Yeah. I don't think we've had a guest from Amsterdam. Uh, I don't, I don't really? know. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Very nice. Well, that's, uh, that's awesome. Well, listen, so, uh, what's, what's the secret to, uh, to getting, uh, you know, uh, creativity, transformation and all these things out of your team? Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, let's, let's just put the first, uh, secret on the table and then we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. It's um, it's not a, like a, a one trick thing or or like one solution which fits everywhere, right? I think the the problem is um, very dynamic, and uh, you can approach it from very different and multiple uh, multiple ways and multiple perspectives. Actually, so what we see often with people and organizations when change is desired or innovation is desired is that um, it gives people a sense of fear and uncertainty. So we, it would serve us, us and everyone if we train people to be better able to deal with the change and the uncertainty, uh, because that is a skill that you can train. So, so um, what, what are people afraid of? I mean, if, I mean, why, why is, why is change and fear related? I mean, are they worried they're going to lose their job? I mean, what, what are they worried is going to happen to them? Um, indeed, it can be, it can be uh, afraid to lose their job. It can be. Um, that they are afraid that they might not be able to to deal with the new skills that are requ- required because maybe they haven't been learning for the entirety of their life and suddenly after like five years in a job you're asked hey now you need to work data driven like whoa data driven what is that i'm am i going to be replaced by a robot or you know all of these things materialize and we see actually from global data on a survey on 10,000 skilled workers that 42% of the people they deal with imposter syndrome so you know if you're dealing with such a crowd imagine that almost half of your people feel like oh I might not be able to do even the job that I'm currently doing imagine inviting them to you know participate in innovation or in this change that we're going through people find this difficult and like in our education upbringing in our work we aren't really trained in to learn on our own we aren't really trained in in resilience and self-reliance um so i think it you would do good to spend more time on that you know uh, is this a cultural thing uh that differs by country or do you think that this is an international uh thing because i mean i'm uh, you know i'm in the united states and, and i'm thinking boy we sure have a lot of these problems and and you in Europe are dealing with the same thing. I mean, so do you think this is something that's just like a human thing? I think uh, it is. It is a human thing. I do. We do see um, that different cultures and uh, different countries 
react to it differently. Like yeah, you guys in the um, in the US, failure for you is a bit different. You know, if you fail, it's okay. Hey, buddy, good job. At least you tried and 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 carry on. In 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 Europe, it's not like that at all. You can really feel like a pariah. People, at least people think that, right? Um, so we try out less stuff and we um, take less risk over here. Um, but but these issues of um, yeah, just being afraid to to try things and step into the unknown. That is um, that is uh, yeah, just how your your body reacts. You know, the people get into a flight or fight mode, which is totally unnecessary. And that's not the only thing that people deal with. Also, um, they're so busy with work, uh, busy with consuming content. You know, people spend four hours and 20 minutes on their phone, average. You know, so they have little mental space to let in new ideas, let alone come up with their own ideas. And then they're influenced by a lot of negativity in the world or social media news. You know, oh, everything is always constantly on fire. So what you put in your mind is also what you project outwards. So if you think that the world is always on fire, that's all also what you will see. And then again, makes it difficult to be innovative. And if your brain is under stress, you know, your your capacity can be shrunk to like 20%. So that's for objective evaluation, creativity, and those kind of things. So you now if you're in a high stress environment where you don't feel safe, where you know you're dealing with your imposter syndrome, stack up all of those things and yeah, no wonder. Uh, change is difficult and, and innovation is difficult for organizations. And people aren't often also not included in the journey. So it's often um, decided from top down, right? Then yeah. you get get like a command to do something, but you don't feel the autonomy or the support to explore on your own. You know, I, I, I'm just thinking about, um, you know, all the things that are necessary in, in the business environment. The bar keeps going higher. I mean, that one of the things about our world is that it's changing constantly. Uh, yeah. A company like Amazon comes along, raises the bar on all of retail. And, you know, and a lot of companies can't compete. They go out of business. Some companies are saying, hey, we have to learn how to compete. Uh, computers and uh, certain kinds of technology are forcing people to raise the bar in their careers, raise the bar in their education. Um, this that, that has to be stressful to people. I mean, some people deal better with it than others, but... The bar is going higher and it's a fact of life. So what can people do to just say, you know what? I got to continuously get better. I can't sit on my laurels. And, you know, I mean, is that is that kind of the right direction that you got to constantly be improving? 100%, 100%. But um, I think one of the keys is to make it very fun and playful, to find what intrinsically motivates you, you know, what drives you, what really... Now, what would you get out of bed for? And start investigating that and start pulling on that thread. And that can be human nature, that can be communities, that can be data, that can be art, that can be philosophy, whatever, or even games. And see what you can learn from those things and try to bring that knowledge back into your organization and your life and your work. In that way, you make continuous learning, not a burden, but actually fun, you know, and um, yeah, we see actually that a lot of large organizations like their founders, for example, uh, Hire or uh, Elon Musk with Tesla and of course SpaceX, they all are still in tune with what has driven them and what, what continues to drive them. Those, and, are, um, those are entrepreneurial people. Those are educated people. I mean, we have, 
you know, in, in the United States, at least, you know, we have two different kinds of workforces. We have uh, laborers, people who work mm-hmm. hard, factory workers and, uh, you know, people that are busy working, you know, maybe less intellectual, but, you know, very important work they're doing with their hands they're building things, mm-hmm. whatever. And then we have these intellectual people, and which has become kind of technology. It's become a lot of these data people. And a lot of people can't relate to those people either. I mean, so they're kind of, you know, yeah. they find there's there's two groups, mm-hmm. you know, is one group more likely to keep keep in touch with their their roots more than others or mm-hmm. or is this is this like it cuts across all categories um good question interesting question as well because indeed there are um multiple different groups um but you know even in in the um, in the world of technology even if you are in a role of data or it um there is the ability that your job will be replaced by technology so even those people have that um yeah the possible burden or fear uh fear in their life but generally speaking it's just a good idea to take care of proper inspiration so um just scrolling through the news or or watching netflix or you know your your social feed um there's probably better things out there that can help you expand your frame of mind, that can teach you new knowledge uh, in a very fun way. And then also, it's very crucial to take care of your yourself through movement, through exercise, through walking, running, meditation, yoga, boxing, whatever you want to do. You, know, you need to also make that like a structural part of your life to create that space and we see also from scientific research that if you have a strong body you also have a stronger mind which is more resilient so there's actually all the things that you know from within that help you actually i think most people already know uh, what could help them forward it's often more um yeah the matter of integrating it in a more structural way in your life and doing less of the things of course which aren't supportive it's it sounds a bit um, cheesy, maybe, but it's almost that easy. So, what what can what can leaders do to help uh, their their teams to be more successful, to be more innovative, to be more comfortable with change that's on the horizon? What what are steps that they can be taking? What are programs they could be putting in place? What are you seeing? Maybe you're seeing them in Europe. What can we adapt in the United States that's working in Europe? Yeah, so um, what we do is uh, we get together with teams. We've got a specific exercise for this as well, which we get, always give away for free, which you can also share in this show. Uh, first, we look at what intrinsically motivates people, what gives them energy. Uh, so for, first, we talk about the positive stuff, you know, the stuff that you really want to do in your life. And then we speak about, hey, but what are the things that block you? You know, What are the things that challenge you? Uh, what are the things holding you back from doing that in your work and in your life? And then we together try to solve these things it's um yeah almost like group work right and then doing that on a very um yeah iterative basis and that you create like continuous learning tribes within your organization which keep on inspiring each other um that is an important thing so bring more of the humanity back in into work humanity poetry art whatever um and then other things what we see from data is that some organizations could do with like 60 percent less meetings and increase the productivity, uh, increase happiness, autonomy, self-reliance, uh, and even um, the feeling of belonging. So yes, even people feel more connected while having less meetings. So we, we've got all of these um, yeah, things that we've been doing 
all along, which we, which a lot of us know that maybe we should stop, but we keep on doing. How, how are people feeling? Like I don't know if you guys have as much work from home as we do, and where you know a lot of companies are having trouble getting their uh, employees yeah. to come back. Although, <clears throat> as we kind of move into a different economic situation with with uh, more hardship economically. Uh, it's going to give companies more power to, to do what they need to do to bring people back or whatever it needs to happen. But do you think that people who are working from home feel the sense of belonging that makes them comfortable? I mean, that seems kind of dichotomous in a certain way that being away from everybody, are are they lacking connection or like, what are you noticing? Yeah, the data doesn't really show that, but we see the same trends actually in uh, in Europe with uh, with Philips or with uh, other large organizations that even when people decided on having a meeting in the office, like half of them don't show up. <laughs> it's, it's it is such a new world, and to your point, I do think like when the economy changes, which is which it already is doing. Um, it could change in the shift of power, but still, if you work in tech, the demand is very high for your role. So uh, I'm not sure how impactful that will be. Uh, and also, even during the corona pandemic, we saw people quitting their jobs because they felt that they wanted to have a change in their, change in their life. Um, but you also ask about belonging and uh, the data shows that people do feel a sense of belonging um also because they got more more autonomy i think maybe that's worth more for them and being with the family and being able to you know have a more more modern work-life balance maybe because like it's pretty archaic right going to the office from nine to five and then just work 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 while you can be like creative for like three hours max so if you're creative for three hours max no, uh, go for a run, go for a walk, do some exercise or read a book or whatever, and then maybe continue with another creative stint. That's yeah, way more productive and it's more feasible to do that at home. Well, where do you, where do, so is, is it management's job to provide, you know, this new stimulation that you're talking about people needing or do people need to be self-starters and, and they're going to be doing this on their own? Or where, where does it come from? I mean, where, where does the management fit into all of this and where do the leaders lead? I mean, what's, what is the, cause you're kind of talking about a new kind of leadership. I mean, with people are spread all over the place, how do leaders kind of gather the troops? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good question. Um, I think it starts uh, everywhere, actually. So for individuals who work in an organization or work in a team, I would never wait for permission. I would just start. I would start working on my own. I would work with people who are open to it. So with your team members or maybe even people from outside your team. Uh, But most of the time, uh, CTOs, CEOs, heads of innovation, heads of product, um, they tap on our door. And they're like, hey, we want, we would like to, our organization to be more agile, to be more flexible, to be more open, to be, you know, to experiment more. Um, so it actually happens on, yeah, multiple layers. Do you, do you find that um, that employees are open to to like a new style? Is it is it what they want? Are, they, are, they, are employees getting what they want? Are they feeling fulfilled? I mean, what does the data say about fulfillment? I mean, are they feeling the fact that they're not running to work? I mean, are they feeling fulfilled or they're just going through the motions? 
And Joe, have you have you heard about the data of the global average engagement with work? It's only twenty percent. It's I know it's super low. <laughs> Right. I think in the U.S. it's a bit better. I think in the U.S. it was like 30 or 35, but still, you know, it it's insane. It's insane. So, yeah, I think if our, people... Our, to be fair, though, <clears throat> our economy is a little different than your economy. Our, our world's a little bit more harsh, a little more ruthless. You know, you have sure. a more socialistic <clears throat> yeah. system. Yeah. That... yeah. Yours is a bit more cutthroat, right? And... Um, um, more of a winner's mentality in organizations as well. So people have to perform in order to, in yeah. order to survive. I mean, they, so we kind of have something that's a little bit different. Um, there, there is no, we, we don't have a great social safety net here like you guys yeah, have. And so if people don't show up, so their engagement is probably a little higher just because it has to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was having a conversation today with a few colleagues about that we have more of a consensus culture. You know, everyone is just always talking and then somewhere we find a middle road, which is, yeah, not where you want to end up. And that's sort of how we do business. And then, yeah, we've got often these uh, marginal or these small incremental steps while your competition isn't doing the incremental steps, but it's taken the radical large steps so that's um um yeah creates an interesting paradigm so you talk about adaptability who needs to be adaptable is it the managers is it the leaders is it the uh, employees i mean where does who, who is largely responsible for creating this adaptation that you're talking about where does it come from yeah yeah so the funny thing is like uh, executive leadership points to the people that uh, the people aren't open to change and aren't adaptive and it also works the other way around so the people point to leadership that they aren't open and adaptive so what if we would just get together uh, you know and see how we can, can solve that I think so it should be sometimes I say like I think like everyone should work in HR I think everything is is a is a is a human human challenge. We often see that innovation, new technological developments, they aren't being adapted because you know, people aren't engaged, or they have a problem in their personal life, or, or those kind of things. Like, and yeah, if you if you don't solve that, then you know, yeah, you should look at the complete picture more from a holistic perspective and try to empower people and give them the tools to deal with their own challenges and the challenges of the group and then the challenges of the organization. Yeah. What, you know, you're, you're sort of pointing to, uh, you know, what I would call blame culture, you know, people blame each other for everything. I mean, mm -hmm. human resources in the United States, uh, like I, I sort of agree with you that everybody, everybody works in the human part of the business because mm -hmm. uh, even though businesses seem like they're about money, they're not really about money. They're about people and then people make money. So everybody yeah. has something to do with people, but human resources in particular is, is about compliance with the law, uh, you know, making sure that this side is treated fair and that side's treated mm -hmm. fair. And, you know, so they're, they're just different. And, and that's something that's different. I imagine with, with our two countries too, it's, they're mm -hmm. different things. But we live in a world where people blame each other for everything. I mean, they point the yeah. finger. They, they're, you know, it's, it's your fault. It, nothing is ever my fault. It's always your fault. And there needs to be some compromise to uh, yeah. how that works. You have any any solution and any yeah. thoughts about where that's going? Yeah, we, we see that a lot of people are in victim mindset. Like um, the situation that I'm in 
it's due to the economic crisis. It's due to uh, upbringing. It's due to my boss is not listening. Or uh, there's always something that you can't control. And if you think about it rationally, it's very unproductive. Now, once you take on the blame yourself, uh, not that it's all your fault, because indeed it can be your boss who is holding you back. You know, it can be your upbringing that wasn't the best. But what can you do now? That's always the question, right? What what is in your control, and how can you take those steps forward? Or what do you need to do? I think holding up that mirror to yourself it can be confronting. Um, but from there on, it's more easy to to find a way forward, and it's it's so more productive. It's so more energizing as well. Yeah, but it takes it takes a little bit of um, reprogramming the mind. You know, so do you, if do, you guide, always, do you guide people through this process? Is that part of yeah. what? So tell us tell us how you do that. Yeah. So for one is we uh, flood people with um, positive perspectives with so all of the things which are. Um, not not so necessarily going well in the world, but the most beautiful art, the best scientific discoveries, the best philosophy, um, how organizations have transformed, how people have transformed, and just stuff your head full with all of the possibilities in the world, and it will just create a larger latticework of ideas, of possibilities. You know, it will open up new doorways in the mind. That is what we see. Um, we almost put people like in a, in a flow state. And from the flow state, they're able to float towards possibilities. And there's yeah, so a little bit rewiring the brain in that way. Uh, and then we also look at how people speak to themselves. Like, are they speaking to, to themselves in a, in a very negative way? Or how do people speak within the culture in the, in the organization? So we often see, for an example, that people say, um, let me challenge you on that. So everyone is always challenging each other on whatever they say, which yeah creates slightly hostile. You could also say, um, hey, could we also take a different perspective? That already sounds way more free, way more, way more open, le- less hostile. So um, look into that. Um, then we also look into the, the rhythm and um, like the protocols that the organizations ha- have. So how much freedom is there? Um, you can say, for example, that's often what leadership does. Not that I am blaming anyone here, of course, but they say you are free to experiment and fail here. At the same time, you need to adhere to your KPIs for this quarter, which is like a little bit difficult if you're just being told that you're free to experiment and fail because how much room for failure is there then? Especially if the KPIs that you need to adhere to are very heavy and very high, right? So. Yeah, sometimes. So how, how do you yeah. how do you deal with that kind of conflict? I mean, so in other words, uh, we want you to experiment and, and try different techniques, but we also need you to accomplish the following. So, mm-hmm. are, are you yeah. talking about experimenting with the outcome or experimenting with the process that creates yeah, so the outcome? We do, yeah, uh, both. So we speak to leadership and we hold up the mirror, like, "Hey, guys, uh, this is what you want. This is what you're saying, and this is what it creates." So it's backfiring. Um, to the people on the floor, we uh, tell them about new technology, which makes it easier to prototype, easier to design, faster, more efficient. So for 10% of the cost and 10 times faster, you can get your ideas in the market. So that also creates space for failure and, and trying out more stuff. So it's a bit of a technological angle, but it's also yeah, human 
and, and, and reflection and just talking with each other because we're all grown ups. Oh, most people can put themselves in the shoes of someone else as long as you take a little bit of the time for that. And, um, and then it's about showing, creating like quick wins that this new way of working, this new methodology actually works. And that just opens the floodgates for change. And then things start to change. And we actually successfully applied this within, um, really large organizations in the, in the Netherlands through this methodology. How, how are these uh, how are these uh, results showing up like over over a longer period of time? Do, are the people getting along better? Are they coming up with better ideas? I mean, what what do you notice is happening over over yeah. time? Yeah, so we see higher creative and innovative outcome, of course, because when people are intrinsically motivated, that is what you get. From global data, we also see that uh, people who have high uh, employee experience and uh, high customer experience, they have double the revenue. Um, in comparison to organizations who don't have both of these on high. So when your people are happy and when your product experience is good, you'll have double the revenue. That's sort of, that's sort of the idea. It's very logical. If you yeah, take care of people, it's, it's if they're intuitive. happy. It's rather right? intuitive, right? But why aren't we all optimizing for this? I, often we step into organizations and we're like, why isn't everyone just doing what they like intrinsically reside towards? where they radiate towards, right? Why why is Pete sitting on possession X just because he went through the motions in the corporate or in the SME and now he is in that role, but maybe someone else should be there. And interestingly enough, we now see large organizations like Unilever, HSBC, PepsiCo, they're all moving more into more agile organizations where it's more skills-based. So people will, will not be sitting anymore in fixed positions, but teams... Uh, will materialize overnight to tackle challenges. So product teams will be way more fluid. Um, yeah, we see that organizations are going to change dramatically. Tell, tell us more about that. The uh, the concept of agile organizations. How does it how does it work? How how do companies transition from what's been fixed in the past to something that's more flexible in the future? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, to be honest with you. Often what happens is that middle management is being asked to either transform and take a more flexible role, uh, which would, um, yeah, in reality, that would mean that they would lose their position. Uh, or sometimes they're asked to uh, to go to a different organization or take it somewhere else. And sometimes it can be up to like 40% or 100% of, uh, of those roles. Um, yeah, they're just gone. Um, speaking of the skills based and more agile, so we look at what kind of skills you have, and then uh, maybe you're familiar with a T-shaped player where you have a, a certain broad skill set, so you are uh, applicable in many different domains, and you've got the deep expertise, uh, like a T, deep expertise in a specific domain. Then you're going to look at how you can cross skill, um, that you may almost make like an H with a, with a bar in the middle, what skills are also applicable in uh, in other topics. Um, and then often we create like a skills marketplace. So we see what skills are out there, what passions, what intrinsic motivations. And then it's more easy to build teams just based on uh, what people want to do and what skills they have. And it's also easier to see uh, what they need to learn and um, what is coming up. But preferably uh, we like to leave the learning uh, of course, we want to motivate it, but we like to leave the learning at the individual level. 
because you want to have autonomy and self-reliance and you don't want leadership to point towards uh, something that people should learn because what if leadership is wrong and it also creates a sense of uh, yeah lack of autonomy you know I, I can imagine if you've worked hard to become a manager for a long time and all of a sudden you know the manager job is kind of dissolving and it's turning into this flexible thing you know you'd have a little hidden agenda about wanting to be flexible you'd kind of like to keep that job the way that it was because you're mm -hmm. you have a self-interest and yeah. i kind of yeah. find that a lot of things that are broken in our society uh i think our education systems are broken our government systems are broken I mean, many many systems are broken and it's not so much that they're that they're broken in a in, in a in a really deliberate way but mm -hmm. a lot of things that we do are hundreds of years old and we've just yeah. been doing them the same way for a long time and they haven't evolved like you're talking about a real evolution here and, and one of the things that I notice is that, uh, let's say the schools, I mean, there are enormous administrations that run these schools that have a vested interest in, Hey, listen, you know, like I'm 50, I got to get to 60. I just want to retire and get my money. And then you can yeah. change the place all around all you want. And yeah. so they, they kind of have this legacy interest and, and they prevent the changes that we need. What's it going to take? You know, I thought the pandemic was going to be a big, a big one. The bomb went off and everything kind of changed around. A lot of things did change, but a lot of things did not. What's it going to take to change some of these big institutions to really reorganize? Yeah, um, I'm not sure if the big institutions can change. Uh, it's probably going to be new institutions with, which will be built. Uh, because I think fixing the old thing um, might be a bit too hard because there's so much resistance. Uh, for example, if we look at um, universities here in the Netherlands, like their uh, iteration cycle is every five years, there's a new curriculum. Every five years, the entire world has changed in five years. Um, and now recently, they're going to work more customer-centric. It's like like 1990 called, guys. Uh, customer centricity is what we've been doing already for, for decades. How how come you're only now starting to ask your students what they want to learn, you know? And um, also, interestingly, the students in the Netherlands, at least 50% is depressed. Like, you're not teaching kids the right skills. Uh, kids don't have room for their own entrepreneurial spirit. You know, the school takes over almost all of their time. Uh, and when they leave, they have a burnout and, and they don't have the skills to, uh, you know, take care of themselves or, or have the right job skills. So, so how, so how does they, how does that adaptation work? That, yeah. That's really the question, you know, and, and again, maybe it's a rhetorical question. There's no good answer, but I mean, you know, granted there are new institutions that are coming up and eventually, uh, something's going to blow up and, and disappear. And that's what happens. And over mm -hmm. time, things get replaced, they get acquired, they get merged, whatever happens. Yeah. But, uh, I just curious about what your thoughts were. Yeah, yeah. So we are actually um, creating supplements for uh, for schools, and we are eventually also going to develop our own our own educational system. Um, for this reason, um, working with multiple schools in Europe, but also also in the US. But I think everyone should look at their own situation and look at what they can do themselves to develop this adaptability. And it can be through, um, yeah, can be through your education, it can be through mind training, it can be through, like on our website, you know, it's it's such a large topic, it's difficult to pick out like 
one or two things or what is a silver bullet bullet it's like yeah it's all of the things combined like like mindset like movement uh, education how you speak to yourself um but the great news is all the knowledge is out there uh it's just not evenly distributed yeah it, so, it's 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 a complicated problem and, and i appreciate you contributing uh some insight to, you know, to some of these things, whether it's corporate, institutional, government, you know, whatever. But, you know, listen, the uh, the promise of the show is to deliver the inside track on uh, some interesting topic, the best, smartest or fastest way to get things done. We're talking about adaptability, change and mindset. And uh, and I appreciate you sharing the inside track. And whenever somebody uh, delivers on the promise of the show, that makes them uh, in our in our book an advantage player. And uh, we want to thank you for being an advantage player and being part of our show. So, uh, Robert, thanks for being a guest, and we'll look forward to continue to have you as a friend of the show. Good stuff. Thank you. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a huge thanks to our podcast show producer, David Wolf, and the team at Autovita Studios. Profit from the inside wouldn't be possible without these wonderful professionals. To learn more or to find out how you can launch and produce your own podcast show, reach out to www.audivita.com. That's A-U-D-I-V-I-T-A.com. Produced by Audivita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.